and welcome to this week's episode of the Cancer Cure Me podcast. I'm your host, Russell Peden, with, with another fantastic interview for the Cancer Cure Me podcast. Today, I've got the pleasure of, of interviewing today and introducing you to an old friend of mine. I say an old friend because, believe it or not, we were in high school, I think middle school, maybe even high school together 100 years ago. And we, we recently reconnected mm -hmm. on social media like so many other folks do. But uh, I, I, I was watching her and her story, and she heard about my story. And we thought, you know what? We've got something in common. I want to her to kind of share her story. So I've got the pleasure, to, guys, to introduce you to my good friend, old friend, Deb Clement Hall. I know it's Deb, Debbie Clement in high school, but Deb Clement Hall. So, Deb, You've 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 had an amazing journey. You you know about the the Cancer Cure Me podcast. You've you've listened to some of my episodes. So you've got your own cancer story. So would you mind just sharing with our listeners just a little bit about your cancer journey, and then we'll go from there. Welcome to the Cancer yeah. Cure Me podcast, by the way. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been so fun reconnecting, and um, I'm excited to to be here and share as always um, as I am about my cancer journey. Um, <clears throat> So I, um, I, sorry, oh, sorry about that. I, um, in 2019, um, actually in 2020, January of, let's see, let me go back. I had, um, a mammogram scheduled, um, for, uh, December 10th, I think it was. Um, and about a week before that, I felt a lump in one of my breasts and thought, well, I don't know what that is. I guess I will um, find out in a week. And, <laughs> you know, um, and so I went to my mammogram and they said, well, um, and it was a new, it was a new doctor. It was a new place. It was, it was everything new, new machines. And they called me the next day and said, um, we want you to come back in for a diagnostic mammogram. Of course, I had never had that happen to me before. I'd had a few mammograms in the past. Um, and, and so I was, I was pretty panicked. I just didn't know what to expect. Um, I wasn't sure what the, what the lump I felt meant. Right. And I, I don't even know if I really mentioned it when I had gone. Cause I thought, well, if I'm having a mammogram and something's there they'll see it um so they had me come in on christmas eve 2019 wow. christmas christmas eve morning so i go in and it's pretty quiet and um i had had the diagnostic mammogram part of it and then it was supposed to be followed as this protocol usually with an ultrasound and so um after the mammogram part, the diagnostic mammogram part, the doctor had, or the radiologist had said, we don't see anything. You're good to go. We don't need to have you do the ultrasound. And I thought, hmm. okay. But then when I asked the tech a little bit more, I said, well, and I had this in my mind because about a week before I'd had a good friend who'd also had breast cancer. I was talking to her about, you know, my anxiety about this, this follow-up mammogram. And I was telling her, um, about it. And she shared with me, you know, some advice, which I pass on to everybody that I sort of talked to who is in a similar situation. She, sh she shared that I should continue answers, ser searching for answers, pursuing answers um, about my treatment, about my diagnosis until I feel comfortable. Um, and so in that moment at the, at the breast center, 
when I, 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 in the, you know, about to go home, all dressed and ready to go home, I said, um, well, what about this thing that I feel? And, and the text said, oh, well, I wasn't aware. I didn't, I said, oh, I don't, I, and I honestly don't remember if I said anything or not, because you're right. kind of flustered. It's like, just fix me. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, take care of me. And, and so she said, well, you could talk to the radiologist if you want. So I thought, okay, well, let's do that. Let's go to um, a little separate little conference room down the hall. And, and he sat down and, and, and said, well, since you feel something, we should pursue that. He, nobody realized that I had something tangible. So I think wow. when, when anything's palpable to the patient, they want to, you know, pursue all measures of testing. Um, so when we did the ultrasound, he was able to see, to see the lump that I was feeling, um, and then scheduled the biopsy for a few weeks later. What I learned about that, which was interesting is that I used to think, well, that, that, um, I used to think, I used to not understand the different purposes of these testing mechanisms, like the machines they search for cancer in different ways. You know, the mammogram is radiation. Uh, I don't know, x-ray. I'm not even sure how you'd call everything. So I'm not going to pretend like I know. But ultrasound, you know, looks for sound waves, I guess, and differently. And then MRIs is more a vibration. I don't even know. So, I, yeah. you know, I mean, but I, in general, they are searching in different ways. And so depending on where a cancer is or the type or whatever, they all serve a different purpose and work together. Mm. And so I'm very, very, very glad that I listened to my, you know, friend in that moment. And, and, um, so then I went three weeks later for a biopsy, you know, and time stretched out, um, till that day I ended up having to have, um, or I ended up having a, um, like an annual exam with my gynecologist that same, I just happened to have a, a regular exam with her and she, she didn't think it would be anything. So I go off to the next appointment at the biopsy and they did the biopsy. It was relatively painless. So, and although for some people, I know it can be pretty painful. Um, a long needle. Mm -hmm. I had one done too. <laughs> yeah. It depends, right? It depends on where. It just looks scary when they pull out the needle. You're like, what the heck? I understand it's a long needle, but anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. I know it's, it's, I've known people for whom it's super painful. And for me, it wasn't, thankfully. I mean, it wasn't too bad. The next morning, though, immediately, pretty much immediately, you know, they say it's a couple of days, but it was the next morning about 10 a.m. I was home alone. I got the call <laughs> from the radiologist. And, um, yeah, I remember how I felt very distinctly, very panicked, very shaky, very much like what in the world is happening. And um, so what did, they, what did they say when they call? I mean, do, do they tell you we found something? What do you they, Obviously, they may not be able to tell you exactly what type it was, but, but they, they knew just, some. They knew some. Yeah, it's like they the initial pathology shows certain factors and then they say you have to continue or they have to continue searching, you know, studying the pathology and they'll find out more later. But at right. the initial report, it was invasive ductal carcinoma, um, carcinoma, um, low grade. They didn't know what stage really, um, right. because you know, they don't know quite yet. Um, right. but it was small, like six millimeter, 
they, he said, I mean, he, he, I think he tried to make it sound like this is, you know, as far as we can tell so far, sort of a, a, a best case or good case scenario in terms of don't no, no worry too much kind of, kind of deal. Right. Right. But it's, <laughs> that didn't stop me. Um, <laughs> but it's still cancer. <laughs> still cancer. What's interesting about that, that I was going to, I was pausing initially when I said 2019 was that, you know, the first time I actually was told I had cancer was not that day. It was actually a few months before in like August of 2019 hmm. when I had, um, a weird little skin cancer on my eyelid that I had had for 10 years. And I just, oh. it was the first time I had gone to the dermatologist ever. Mm. And I said, yeah, can you take that off? And she said, yeah, and we'll, we'll go ahead and biopsy it. I don't think it's cancer. And it was a basal cell carcinoma, like, and it needed to be surgically um, removed with Mohs surgery. And I remember in some ways that being not harder, I won't say harder, but in as intense, as shocking in some ways. As the breast cancer. As the breast cancer. I mean, it was, it was it, looking back, it's hard to say that because I know it's not nearly as devastating and, and life-threatening. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, I go in tomorrow for a third basal cell um, surgery because wow. you, you get it once you're bound to get it again. Um, so I don't panic anymore about that. But at the time, that was the first time. That was the first time I was told, you know, mm. having cancer. So, um, which I think is what's interesting about cancer is that, and we may have talked about this um, already, but, the, you know, like we, we, there is so much weight to that term. And I think that that is changing a little bit and it's still extremely extremely scary but it's interesting to me my experience of having th those those experiences pretty close together right. um, but anyway so with breast cancer um obviously much more of a of a life-changing event um i had massive decisions and from that point on in terms of um which surgeon to use for my breast surgery it had to either come out via a lumpectomy or double mastectomy or mastectomy single or double, I guess. Um, those were my choices. I didn't realize I'd have so many flipping choices. Right. right exactly. I, I, that was one of the hardest things for me. I'm an Enneagram six who have one of the, you know, Enneagram types that has the hardest time making a decision and just kind of worrying about things, just worry. So I struggled with that decision more, more than anything, I think in some ways. Um, and met with the first surgeon, um, Drew and I, my husband and Drew and I had a, an, a little getaway planned right after that. It was interesting. So I remember that weekend being very heavy, but also kind of solemn and sacred, a lot of prayer, a lot of reading, a lot of thinking and journaling, but came right back early actually to, uh, one of the surgeons that I was referred to, um, again, told I had these decisions. I had these choices. And, um, and then was it totally comfortable? Went to another surgeon. I had, I started to, I started immediately calling people after my diagnosis. So this was like a week later, but within that week, I call, I must've called like four or five people that I had known who had breast cancer because I instantly, Good. yeah, I instantly kind of got, had the realization. I think God gave it to me that I should 
reach out. There were people I wasn't alone. There were people I could reach out to. And that was a huge um, blessing for me because somebody, for example, had a, a good friend of mine had had cancer, almost the same exact scenario the year before me. And I ended up um, so she referred me to her surgeon whom she loved, who's, who was highly, highly recommended. And so that was my second opinion or my second consult. And so I went to her just a few days later. Um, right. you know, at the time I remember feeling very, uh, ur- if everything felt very urgent, I felt very, um, c- cause I was worried about getting the cancer out, you know, and I, right, and right, I- right, right. Everything seemed delayed. Everything seemed like nobody was in a huge hurry to take care of this. Right. And that was a big like revelation for me too. It's like, I, I want to get this over with. Right. Um, and yet that's just not how it works. It's not that everyone's so busy and you're not important. It's just, it's not life-threatening in that moment. Right. So I don't know. That was an interesting um discovery. But so the second surgeon was wonderful. She kind of opened my eyes to the, um, to the possibility or the, the, um, the pros and cons more so of a double mastectomy for me in my case, um, in terms of, um, results and symmetry and, you know, what radiation, what, what, what the surgery might do. I don't know. There were just different factors for me that um, I felt led more at that point. I had been leading, leaning more toward lumpectomy and radiation, and and that's what they had. You know, that was the protocol: is lumpectomy plus radiation or double mastectomy. That's what I was told. Wow. And and again, I'm like, all you know, it seems like some doctors have different like protocols. Like, what's up with that? Like, how could that be? But I don't know. Um, whole new world yeah. when you enter into your specific type of cancer and learning way more about it than I ever thought I would. So, you know, the, the, um, breast surgeon I chose, um, was fantastic. She, she, she had a plastic surgeon that she worked with very closely. My husband went and I went to all these appointments together and we felt very comfortable with those two, the pair of them. And so that's who, that's what I ended up doing. a double mastectomy and reconstruction, which was during COVID. So I had my surgery on February 18th, right before COVID, mm-hmm. but then had, you know, a lot of follow-ups with my plastic surgeon in preparation for um, the implant exchange surgery, which was going to be in May of that year. So that was tricky during COVID. Um, yeah, sure. I had a month after my initial surgery where I could be with people, hug people lean on people. And then it was all virtual. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so I had a a surgery in May. Um, um, scary time too, because none of us had any idea what to expect during COVID. It was so foreign to us, you know, especially people like people our age, it was just, or not just our, anybody, no, it was just never had before. So I can only imagine, I mean, Mm -hmm. oh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, people were having babies during that time without their, you know, support system in the room or whatever. There are all kinds of things that, yeah, it's crazy to think about. Um, But we got through it. We, I got my family, you know, was 
they dropped me off at the surgery center, the the second surgery, left me there to, you know, get taken care of and then pick me back up. And wow. <laughs> yeah. Um so, I'm laughing because it's it's just so it's not funny. It's just it's just surreal. unfortunately it's just the way it was. It just the way it had to be because they didn't give any other option because nobody knew what to expect. That's yeah. my point. And I just I laugh because how yeah. crazy a time it was is why is what I'm laughing about. Just well, there were so many things about COVID that were like laughable, like just hysterical, like ridiculous that yes. you know, that you just kind of I don't know. Yeah. It, and not truly laughing. I get it. Yeah. I don't know. It, I it, coming home from the coming off from the grocery store and spraying our bags down with with you know some sort yeah, of disinfectant. It was just I mean, because we didn't know. We're just no. doing what we thought we we're supposed to do. And and then we think about that was just so ridiculous. But yeah, I'm sorry. We, we got off track. What, the, what we were doing with the YouTube videos were telling us to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I do one thing about going through this mostly during COVID. Um, that I recognized in counseling, you know, year, year after I, I start, I had, it's interesting. I had been in counseling right before, like after the, um, skin cancer diagnosis, I started realizing, man, I, I've got some anxiety stuff going on in general, in general. Right. So I'm right. going right. to get some counseling for some anxiety. Um, and, and then, and then COVID, um, and then, so eventually I, I started seeing a new counselor and um, I remember talking to her despite like, you know, just other life stuff going on. Like to, I remember talking to her about how I'm not sure I like was processing my struggle during COVID or my own breast cancer grief um, because I couldn't, I had to put it off. I had to put it off. You know, there were so many more pressing matters to, I mean, I, I do think I processed a lot during that time, but I, I don't, some of it was delayed because the kids needed to be schooled. The kids, you know, the, mm. I, I don't know. It just, there was so much more intense sort of emotions going on. And anyway, but, but I eventually did, you know, I do a lot of processing. I had, I had, um, a final surgery the following January. So almost to the, like right after a year from my diagnosis, I had a third surgery. Um, and that's been sort of, except for check it, checkups with my oncologists um, and some, some DNA testing that where they can test for early recurrence. That's a, like a new test, which is kind of cool. Um, so I see her get my blood tracked every six months or so now. Um, I see my plastic surgeon once a year. So I have five. So it's been, that's 2020. It's today. Now it's 20, January, February, 2024. So we say so you've been three years since, since surgery, four years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, four years since, four years since my first surgery. And that's kind of when they start for me, they start that sort of five year mark. Gotcha. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I started taking like a hormone blocker because my breast cancer was hormone positive um, and HER2 negative. So I had hormone blockers ever since like April or so of that year. So, Girl, yeah, I like those hormone, hormone blockers as well. Yeah, there's different kinds before and after hysterectomy, which I had a couple. 
I had that going on too during the last couple of years. So that's been fun. Oh yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. I, obviously I can't, I can't relate, but anyway, well, that's interesting. Well, congratulations on being cancer free now for three years. We might, we might say four here in another few months. I would say four. Yeah. Because that's when they took it out. Yeah. Yep. That's and that's, that, that's gone and it's not coming back in Jesus name. We'll just, it's not coming back. I'm just going to put that out there. I, I believe if you're talking about the future, it's not a lie. So Anyway, well, good. Well, congratulations. I absolutely, you know, when I talk to people like like us who've gone through it, you know, I probably mentioned this to you before. You, as when when you get a cancer diagnosis, everyone has something to say. What I mean, everyone, I mean your friends, family, people who find out about your situation, and it's and they've all got advice, and and I just think it's so funny because unless you've gone through cancer, unless you know what it's like, that anxiety, as you mentioned. To know that you've got something in your body that doesn't belong there, and there's nothing that you personally can do about it. I mean, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. And I don't think unless you've had that, it's hard to relate. For people to, to make comments and to make suggestions, unless you've had it, I don't think you you really don't have any idea what you're talking about. And because um, it's a weird feeling. And I think I probably mentioned this in our previous conversation. My first couple of weeks after my diagnosis. I'm an eternal optimist. I, I jokingly say I'd take my last ten dollars and buy a money belt. That's how much of an optimist I am. But the first couple of weeks after my diagnosis, I had horrible thoughts. And this is not about this interview is about you, but I had horrible thoughts. Not about dying. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty secure within my faith, so I wasn't worried about if I died. I, I know what's going to happen. But I was worried about how Carol and the kids were going to take it, and we had things in place financially to take care of them. But just how they deal with it, that's what I worried about. And and uh, I thought, man, I'm never going to get to see my girls graduate high school. And I can be able to walk down the aisle. All these things I had planned my whole life. And and that's what was worrying me, kept me up at night. And when I say that, I, or nights, I didn't want to go to bed because I thought, what if I don't wake up? I just had all these horrible thoughts. And as I probably imagine, told you, I just, go ahead. Imagine being a worrier, a worst case scenario thinker naturally. And <laughs> and then, oh, totally. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, so I have to fight every day to against worst case scenario thinking. That is that is part of what I've learned about myself. So so that so to be somebody like that and have this like oh, yeah. I can't even so imagine. I, I get now, my wife Carol on the other hand is just like you. And I don't she may be a worst case scenario, but she's always like thinking ahead, like five or six, seven steps ahead. Like what if like with all these different scenarios, like what if this happens? I, I don't know if that's the same thing because I can't I can't understand it because I'm an eternal optimist. But yeah. my point so, was is I, there were I just worried and I just here's what what saved me. I just I just knew this wasn't who I was, so I just decided one night I'm just going to pray about this because that's what God says to do. I just said, look, Lord, I don't know why you gave me the cancer. I know it's for a reason. I'm sure it's to bring you glory somehow, but I'm just going to leave this right here at the foot of the cross, just like you tell us to. And just trust that whatever happens next, the next phone call, the next website, the next whatever is because of you. God led it. And yeah. I probably told you the story already, Deb. I said, amen. I never, after I said, amen, I never, ever had another to this day, had a negative thought about the outcome of my cancer. It was so, I was so relieved after that prayer. It was almost like, this is the story I was telling. It was almost like, God was like, thank you. Let me have the will. Because, you know, I think. If you're a believer, we have this thing like, let's just help God out a little bit. Let's just go take, no, go this way, God. And 
or go this way. And he's like, no, just let me drive, you know? And, and that's what I was doing. When I said, amen, it was almost like he, I could just feel him go, I got it now. And just hold on for this ride. And it was a great ride. It ultimately let me to be cancer-free now for the last eight and a half years. But man, again, I don't make this about me, but it was just so reassuring to know that, hey, I, this thing is in the bag. I don't, I hadn't, this is 2013, six weeks after my diagnosis. I had no idea about Dr. Rubio and the Rubio Cancer Center that ultimately is where I'd end up getting cured of my cancer. But there are many doctors and 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 stories in between between that and a whole summer of of intense intensive care treatment as well. But uh, but again, I just knew all this was going to lead to me being healed or cured somehow, and it, it ultimately did. So anyway, enough about me. So what a what a wonderful story, and I, I appreciate you sharing because that that's the point I want to get across is that people need to hear the story because everyone's story is a little bit different. I obviously can't not totally identify because I'm not number one, I'm not a woman. Number two, I'm not a warrior, but I can totally understand what it feels like to have cancer and to not know what to do next. And if what they're telling you is true and what do you do next? So, but here's what I know. The whole reason why we're talking today is because we've been friends for 30, we figured out 30 some odd years now. And I've been watching you on social media for the last couple of years. I've seen you talk here and there, post here and there about your cancer journey. I've commented on your, on your posts sometimes, but we've never really connected and talked about the one thing we have in common besides, you know, going to school together for years that we have cancer. And so, but I've seen you and what you're doing online and I, maybe you're doing it because that's who you are. But I mean, you've, you post a ton of great content in terms of videos about health and fitness. And so, you know, the whole purpose of the of this podcast, the idea I had was it to highlight and showcase people like you who've not just come through your cancer journey healed or cured, but are now better forward and are using your journey to impact and or, or improve the lives of others. Could you talk a little bit about, and maybe it wasn't cancer that did it for you. Maybe that was already who you are, but it seems to me that now you're saying, look, you got to stay fit. You got to focus on your health. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how you could connect to it? Maybe you didn't connect the two. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You know, I I mean, you're an inspiration. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You inspire, just watching your videos and stuff inspires me. It's like, I got to get my butt in gear and take this health <laughs> stuff seriously. And you think I would have done that just going through cancer, but not everybody does. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's a complicated journey, that is. And um, it's interesting. I I want to say one thing before I kind of talk about the cancer connection and and about what you were saying about like listening to God during that really intense like kind of for me a worry season. But yeah. I I remember my head. I remember where my head was during that time thinking like I said I'm going to reach out to people and I knew that was going to help me and it did. And I instantly wanted to be even you know soon after I was kind of through the the through the the brunt of it, the brunt of it being the recovery from my first surgery. It was it was hell. Right. Um, but also, you know, just feeling like I wanted to wrestle well with it, especially in front of my kids. Yeah. I wanted to be somebody that was real, but also strong. Right. You know, I, and I also talked. Uh, I also remember talking to lots of friends and lots of, especially a couple. I would meet with these two friends from my writer's group, actually, who were 
who one of the one I mentioned that had told me to pursue answers and to, you know, former breast cancer um, survivor. And then another friend who was diagnosed a week before me. So we were kind of going through it at almost at the same time. Wow. I remember sort of us leaning into each other a lot during that time and, and talking about how I realized my worry came from worrying about the future, whether mm. I was going to hand be able to handle it or not. And in fact, within an hour of my diagnosis on the phone call, I was me, I was scheduled to have brunch with my um, wonderful, wonderful mentor friend, Paula. And I tell the story a lot, but I distinctly remember being with her over brunch and she's just a like encourager, a spiritual, just warrior. And she's amazing. And she's walked me through a lot of stuff as a mom and yeah, a lot of things. But she, I remember like driving up to see her by the way, like mad, angry, right? Angry, angry in fear, like like not pretty mad, like cursing mad, like I cannot believe this because I'm so scared, right? You're like great. you know, you know that fear that goes with the or the anger that goes with the fear, like. And so then I saw her and I was like, Paula, I don't know that I can do this. Yeah. And she just looked at me and said, Yes, you can. Like, and I, so I tell that story because I can, I feel it in my bones, like how she made me feel that day. And so that was part of the encouragement that I was getting from people. And so with these other two friends who knew breast cancer well, right, Mm -hmm. we were meeting occasionally, uh, well, until COVID made us not be able to. Right. (laughs) But we kind of talked about how worrying about the future for me wasn't so much worrying about the outcome of my breast cancer, like health like it was fairly treatable yeah i was worried about um i think i was just worried about how i would be doing like if i would be if i would fall apart if i would just fall into a a deep dark hole or something i i mm-hmm. and and what my friends and i were talking about or we start we started kind of leaning into was this idea that god is so faithful has been faithful in the past that you're not walking into the future alone when you're walking right. with God. Right. You're not going to, like, if you look into the future and you're worrying about the future. And for me, it was worrying that I would be a, too much of a mess to handle anything. Right. He would be there with me just like he was in that moment. Right. You know, how he is in every moment, especially when I lean in and stop. And we don't do that as much when we're not in crisis, by the way. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. So Everybody wants us to. <laughs> yeah, he wants us to every day. And so I that gave me so much. I remember so much comfort at the time. And and so I just I very early on wanted to be somebody that was there for anybody else who was who was going through an initial diagnosis. So I remember talking to some people. And to this day, I just, you know, say to everybody and anybody, like send them my cell number. So, you know, give it, tell, absolutely send them my way. You don't have to ask. This is just, if, if I can be a resource and share my story with somebody, it just, and you know, not everybody wants that or needs that. I there's a part of me that thinks that everybody does need it because we need to not do this alone. And, And if we're too private and insular, then it can be even more isolating. But when somebody needs because there are some people 
as widespread as breast cancer is, there are some people who still, who maybe, maybe because they're diagnosed young, they don't have a lot of people they know who have gone through it. Yeah. Most of us do. Most of us can think of somebody. And I reached out to people I hadn't talked to in years. I just Mm -hmm. knew their story. And I was like, can we talk? Can we talk? One, one, uh, former sort of pastor mentor, uh, friend of mine, this woman that I just adore. She's another writer. I reached out to her and we talked and her breast cancer was 20 years before. And she prayed over me over the phone. And I just, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that, that I just want to pay it forward to other people. So that's Absolutely. one, that's one way. I mean, I think whenever we share our stories with each other, um, it makes us all stronger. Right. I so agree. that's, that's huge. And then the health and fitness stuff kind of just came came about organically in the sense that I have always been um, active. I've always been a runner. I've always worked out. Angie and I, my twin, you know, Angie and my, you know, Angie and I, um, we sort of walk through life together and we do a lot of the same things, including working out together. And we, but so I've just, I've always worked out. I've always sort of been health conscious. Um. It's funny because even when I was health conscious in college, I use air quotes because I wasn't um, really that healthy mind mentally. You know, I was like, it was all about sort of looking a certain way and that's changed. In fact, I just wrote a post today about kind of the evolution of that in my, in my trend, my nutrition uh, focus over the years. Um, So I have been a Beachbody customer like for 10 years. And I just do these workouts from home. I have the original DVDs. I did the, um, I joined their online program. I've just been, I just been doing it for years and they have a partner network system where everybody who signs up has a coach. And over the years I've thought, Oh, I could do that. When I, when I was coming back from surgery after surgery, after surgery, it was hard. Like I, I would go, I wanted to get back to my old self. Well, my body was, as anybody who's gone through significant surgery, right. either for cancer or otherwise, when your body's changed so much, it could be extremely discouraging to want to return to your, you know, old self, quote unquote, and uh, not be able to for a while or have to start over kind of. And so, yeah, but I also a major had, physiological change. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah. So I had these programs, I had these workouts that I would just do in my basement or my living room for years. I just have been consistently doing different ones. And um, so this wasn't, I'm going to become Wonder Woman, Superwoman to show my kids and my friends that I over, I can be, can- or I, I, I beat cancer. And now this was just an evolution of who you already were. And, and it's, yeah. Obviously, it, it certainly doesn't doesn't hurt your 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 right. recovery and your and your future health with regard to you know, right. you know cancer not coming back. I mean, it can only help. It can't really hurt. So I, I mean, I, go ahead. That's what's interesting is that I had been changing my habits nutritionally, like trying to eat just more healthy in general. Right. Even before that cancer diagnosis, for years, I had never been. I had never eaten healthier than at that point. Mm. And and so then I got this diagnosis and that's, that's, that doesn't really mean anything because frankly, who knows why anybody gets cancer, right? right? We know there are 
whatever. I, I won't get into any of that. I just knew, yes, after my cancer, I wanted to learn, not right away. I needed to kind of be ready for it. I wanted to work out. I wanted to, I wanted to do what I could to continue. That's just who I, I am. I don't know. I, I didn't even think about it really about sort of mm. getting back to exercise, but I did what I could. And my, my surgeon, my plastic surgeon said, you know, do what you're comfortable with. Um, once I had my hysterectomy and that meant I'm in menopause all of a sudden, like pretty drastically. Mm. So in addition to all the breast cancer sort of surgery changes, I had all the kind of menopause related stuff, you know, yeah. hot flashes and, you know, I'm 52. Um, so now I was 50 at the time when I had the hysterectomy. So I started needing something different. And so I sort of made some changes with my, um, my body or beach body, uh, like, um, community, my, my support system there. And pretty soon I started thinking about becoming a partner for body and just, and, and that's what led me to kind of share more online so that I can sort of, what I envisioned was wanting more people alongside me who are going through similar things or have gone through similar things, whether it be being post-surgery, post-breast cancer, post-cancer, or okay. menopause, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now you're you're not just helping cancer survivors, breast cancer survivors. You're you're trying to you're trying to help anyone who's gone through some sort of major physiological change in their body. And I, I think that's brilliant. Right. I mean, and that's good because as I mentioned earlier, it's so People who haven't gone through it, it's so easy for them to make comments or to think a certain way or to expect certain things, and 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 you yeah. just can't unless you understand it. And uh, you know, it's, you, you said something earlier. I don't think I mentioned this in any one of the podcast episodes. I think the only person I've ever mentioned to is probably my wife, Carol. Is my I have an aunt. She she passed away. My dad's oldest sister, my aunt Juanita. I talk so much about her. Uh, she was so much a part of my life growing up. She was someone who. I think she is. She was the. She saw the entrepreneur in me when I in high school. Probably, probably in elementary school, and always encouraged me. But she was my besides my mom, probably my number one fan. And but you know, the the funny part is, is that my aunt Juanita. Everyone knew that she was the health nut. I mean, you go to her house, and she'd have these. I remember her house. She had this. She lived out in in Silmar, up in the, the valley. If you, those of you from Southern California. And I'd go to her house. I'd spend a weekend with her, something like that. And and she had this beautiful home in her kitchen. She had this cookie jar on her on her kitchen counter, and it had these big, huge chocolate chip cookies. But they weren't chocolate chip; they were carob chip cookies. And and I just, oh, she was such a health nut. And and I, I we would joke my my siblings and my cousins that if you go to Antonia's house, you better take a you better take a, a suitcase full of junk food because there's, there's, you're not going to get any junk food at Aunt Juanita's house. Mm -hmm. And uh, I say all that to say that my Aunt Juanita got breast cancer probably I look at maybe 20 years ago, and ultimately she ended up dying, I believe, from the cancer. I can't say it for sure, but because she she ended up having probably like you, she ended up having a double mastectomy and. And, uh, but she ended up dying probably about 10 or 15 years ago, but I remember she was so angry and I don't, if anyone, I'm saying this because I'm sure the people out there who can relate because she had felt like her whole life, she had been so good health wise, her diet. I don't know how much exercise she did, but I, I know she was a Nazi for lack of a better word about her diet, eating right, eating 
what you know you're supposed to eat. And then I remember her sharing with us one time, or maybe we just kind of heard it through the family grapevine that she was so upset. She like her body turned against her because she'd been doing everything right, and now she got breast cancer. Mm. And I just remember praying for her that, you know, uh, that you know, God does stuff. We don't. Who knows why God makes us go through stuff? Uh, but she went through it like a champ, and she was very open about her breast cancer. But I wanted to share the part about her being angry because the connection, if you knew my Aunt Juanita, she was the healthiest person in our family. We used to joke that she's going to outlive us all, and she didn't, unfortunately. But I just thought that was important to share that she was so hurt going through her journey that she had felt like she had done everything she was supposed to, and still she ended up getting cancer. Hopefully that's an encouragement to others that we don't know why God does it. We can only trust that he has a plan and our jobs to figure out what that plan is. You know, and uh, anyway, I don't even know why I shared that. I just felt compelled. Go ahead. Well, we're so on. So I had a great aunt Juanita myself, by the way, um, which is, uh, you know, um, fun, but she, but I think that there's so, there are so many unexplainable events, you know, so many unexplainable cancers, unexplainable, like, um, situations in life that, and I, I could spend a lot of time, you know, with my temperament, like dwelling on some of that, you know, and, yeah. and, and being frustrated and, you know, and if, if there's anger, if there's frustration, then that's, you know, then, then like for your aunt, like, then it's, it's valid. It makes sense. You know, it's, it's important to feel those feelings, whatever your feelings are during someone's cancer journey, you know, whatever. I think, I think it's important to validate someone's feelings, but I, I remember struggling with that a little bit um, and, and thinking about that concept of, or this, that where I've heard people say, well, I could say, why me? Right. Right. I could say, why me? I was so like your aunt. So, well, I was, I, I wouldn't say I was so, so health conscious or, um, <laughs> but I, I was, I was healthier than I had been. Um, but right. whatever, it, or, or I, why me in general, why me? Cause of blank A, B, C, or D reasons. Or why you know, we could flip flip that and go, why not me? You know, why why is anybody nobody's immune, really? Right. Or uh, ask the same stuff. question, Deb. Lord, why me? Like to, to truly ask, why me? Like, why, which is the question I asked. I don't know why you gave it to me, God, but I'm I'm gonna trust and believe that you gave it to me for a reason. So just to put a different spin on the why me, mm-hmm. reveal to me why. So that I can walk in that. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. That, I, think- I think where I go with that too, in addition, is is I I mean, I'm not so sure that I'm an everything happens for a reason person. Mm. I think that everything has potential to have good come from it. I think everything has the potential to. So I, I I think differently about that than I used to a little bit. I know what you're saying, but like I also think it's about what we do with it, and that's the yeah, bottom line. Absolutely, what you're focused on with with this. Yeah, it's never about what happens to you guys. It's always about how we respond that makes the difference, and and how we, we can respond either way. You can go left, you can go right, you can go up, you can go down, and it's how you respond that makes a difference. And you chosen to uh, get past your anxiety and worry, which again I I cannot relate to, but. But I have a wife who does, and and I this whole idea of the podcast came to me for those of you that heard me on the previous episodes five or six years ago, the idea for it. But I didn't pull the trigger on it until 
I've been going through this journey with my wife, Carol, and her cancer journey because going through it myself was one thing, but the, as, a, as a husband, watch your wife go through this, something completely different. I, I'm, I'm sure Drew can identify as well. It's something because even though I feel like we know that God's in control, we've got, we've, we trust and believe we have the best doctor to help her with her situation. And now she's, she's basically got to be respecting uh, a cancer-free diagnosis, prognosis for her here in the next week, couple months as she goes through her last two follow-up visits. But even though I know Dr. Rubio, I know that God's got it, I still felt completely helpless over the last six mm -hmm. months because mm -hmm. there's nothing, because you just, as, as men, we just want to do something. You know, we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to protect our wives and our children. And I just felt completely helpless. And um, and so that's what, I think that's when God just smacked side heads that you said you wanted to make a difference in people's lives as sharing your story and you've done nothing but talk about it. And that's why I decided to just go ahead and pull the trigger on the that's podcast. So nice. with that, look, we've, we've talked way longer than we normally do on our podcast. I appreciate you sharing so much, so much of your story and not just your story, but your insight as to what you went through and why you went through it. And, and I think just sharing how you reached out so many people to your friend who gave you that, that great advice is to just continue to ask and ask and ask. Mm -hmm. Um, and then going to others, because I think you're right. Some people, I don't know what fear, I guess they, they don't want anyone to know, but hopefully again, this podcast was not necessarily geared towards cancer patients. You know, I, I, I would hope that cancer patients would listen to it. Or if you were, if you're listening to this episode that you would share it with someone who's going through cancer, because unfortunately, we all know someone personally now who's going through cancer because statistically, one out of three Americans today have cancer. Not that this is a just an American podcast, but you're going to share, hopefully you'll share that with someone who does, but it's really designed to, to be inspirational to anyone who listens to it, to know that, hey, you can go through something and, and make the best of it. But I, I appreciate the fact that you've made the best of it and you are, through your example, through your attitude to your kids, to your husband, to those who follow you on social media, like myself, you are an inspiration. And maybe people, and I don't, maybe you are sharing on social media what you've gone through. So people are inspired. I'm inspired because I've known you for years and I, I, I knew what you went through. Now I know more in detail what you went through. I'm inspired even more and hopefully you've inspired someone who's listening to this episode to use, I always say, kind of use your story as an something they can grab a hold to and kind of pull them through their own journey. And I hope that's what this podcast will do for others, guys, is maybe you can't identify with my story, maybe because I, I don't have, I didn't have breast cancer. I'm hoping that I'll be able to get my wife on an episode and she can share her, but we got to get to her, her whole journey first. But I hope that this, this podcast inspires someone, someone, some of you listening that, that you will be inspired. You may use this episode to share with someone who will be inspired. But either way, Deb, I appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being who you are. And if people want to find you, they can find you, Deb Clemen Hall. That's hyph Clemen Hall, C L. -E I don't think it's hyphenated, but. Oh, it's not hyphenated. It's just Deb Clemen Hall on social yeah. media. She already said she's an open book. I'm the same way. I, I, I consider it a blessing to be able to talk with anyone who's going through cancer and, and they, they want to talk with someone who truly understands. I'm always a phone call, a text message, a, a private message away. I would love to be an ear for you. I'd love to pray for you. I know that probably feels the same way. So we're easy to find on social media. Obviously, you can find us right here on the podcast. I'll put 
have the information, depth information there in the show notes as well. So thanks for being on that. Thanks for sharing. I look forward to catching up with you soon. All right. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate it.